Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Leslie is a 6'7 junior out of Lawrenceville, Georgia. Plans to study business administration. He'll be taking care of business. And he, uh, they, they take care of Auburn. Longwood advances. So now, other than people who live in Farmville, Virginia, and not all of them, you're the only person in America who has Longwood in the final game. And you have Longwood against Baylor. Who you got? Okay. I'm not going to lie. This is where I think Longwood's going to get tested. All right? <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So the result of this is even greater than one can imagine. <laughs> it's even greater. Nigel, tell the people what, what happened with Greg and Longwood. Longwood's out. They were out in the first round. Of course they're out in the first round. <laughs> Baylor's out, too. Now, is this Greg's even, bracket is Is this destroyed. even better when the Nashville newspaper was uh, The Nashville newspaper the quoted show. everything that was said. <laughs> everything Back was, and said. forth. This is better. Great. This is better. So um, our connection with, uh, with, uh, with Longwood, uh, Victoria Kinden, who sent us all this wonderful yes. stuff. Was was texting with, with Finn, who went to Longwood, has a couple of shirts now. He's very happy. Oh, that's Finn fantastic! Pineapple, yeah. So she texted uh, Greg and was was saying, "Hey, we would love to have you speak at our graduation. It's still open, and you know, other than graduation, you... <laughs> speak at the graduation." Right. Based on five minutes on a the podcast that nobody listens to. Yeah, it was the roster. As she said, you're shooting to the top of the wish list behind Phil's mom. So <laughs> it's just great. And to which Greg replied, May 21st, I would have been honored, but I'm taking my wife on vacation for our 25th anniversary that week. If I knew this was in the cards, I would never have gotten married. Just a brilliant <laughs> answer. So maybe down the road, Greg will actually speak at the Longwood graduation. We can only help. Yes. We'll get to all of that in a second. We'll get to the, you know, all day we're going to talk, obviously, with Wilbon and Pat Forty. We'll talk about the NCAAs. Got a letter here from Elaine Applegate from Island Heights, New Jersey, an island on the Toms River in Barnegat Bay. Solution to your French press, stop using it. <laughs> if you're going to continue to make sure there is a screen in the bottom to filter grinds, if you are going to continue... Make sure there is a screen in the bottom to filter grinds. You can also pour less grinds that don't go in your cup. So that I, every time I make this, no matter what I make it in, the French press or in the Keurig, with the device that you bought. Oh, did that device work? It worked in the sense that there's coffee, but there's grounds all over the coffee all the time. Better solution is to buy a coffee maker. You're rich. With a Keurig-like <laughs> single maker with a basket to put in your own special coffee without need for pods. Well, that's what Michael gave me. This way, just plug in, pour your water in, press button, and voila, you have a single cup of coffee. No need to boil water in a saucepan. Yes, but it, it does not filter the, the coffee grounds. Tell Michael that if branches on neighbor's trees are on his property, he can cut them. The better thing is to talk to the neighbor first or get room darkening shades for your son's room. My husband, John, died of cancer just as the pandemic began. He was an HOFer, Barnegat Bay Sailing Hall of Fame. He got me into PTI, which I still watch faithfully every day it's on. I tried your podcast to help me sleep, and guess what? It works. I went back to the days of chatter. John and I couldn't figure out what chatter was when referenced on PTI. Humor does make the world of difference. Thank you. And this is the line you've waited for. By the way, who was Edith Saliza? <laughs> who was Edith Saliza? Fantastic. Grandma? Edith Saliza. Okay. Um, a couple of things. Okay, so I'm walking yesterday. I take Chessie on a walk around six o'clock at night. So this is the long walk. This is the long walk. I take her on about six o'clock at night. There is behind me coming up, going my way and coming behind me and getting closer and closer and closer because dogs take their time and they sniff everything. 
a man, a woman, and a baby carriage. Man, a woman, and a baby carriage. When they finally get right next to me, I move off to the side so they go by. And the man looks at me and he says, Mr. Tony, just like that, Mr. Tony. And I look at him and he goes, we're the Serrano Swain family. And I say, well, Michael, we got your note. And he says, yes, I know. He says, Michael, I said, yes, Michael knows us. Yes. <laughs> so I, I thought you would be very happy. They were walking in the neighborhood. I didn't know there was a stroller in the Taking cards. a walk. Yes, yeah, stroller with, with a small, with a baby. They live on one of the most beautiful streets in this area. Yeah. Can't so, give more details than that. No. So it's a Swano. Serrano Swain family. That's fantastic. Yes, I thought that was great. And so I wanted to make that. And I also wanted to um, do one other thing. And that was to, and not to eulogize, but to mention John Clayton. I knew John Clayton. I didn't know him very well. I knew him a little bit. I'd been around him for 50 years, one way or another, in a f football press box a lot of times at Super Bowls or playoff games. I knew his history. I knew him from ESPN. Um he worked very, very hard. He always worked hard. He was never pretentious. He was never standoffish. He never thought he was better than you because he was on television. He was a fine, fine reporter who got almost everything right, had as high a percentage as you can have in the reporting business. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to say we were friends. That would be unfair. We were casual acquaintances, but I had... Tremendous respect for him, and obviously I'm sorry that he's gone. Let me get to the NCAAs, because I this is not a bracket, what I'm holding in my hand, but I have the results. Okay. In the Sweet 16, in the Sweet 16, 13 of the 16 are from the major conferences. So when people say anybody can win it, well, not anybody can win it. 13 of the 16 are from the major conferences. The one shocker is St. Peter's. Everybody knows St. Peter's is the shocker. St. Peter's not going to win this. St. Peter's has Purdue next. And after that, the winner of UNC and UCLA. And after that, Final Four. And they're not going to win it. But great for them to have eliminated Kentucky. And then, you know, then, then prove their point by beating Murray State, which I believe had like a 23-game winning streak or something like that. Yeah. They are the outliers. St. Peter's. They're a 15 seed. Gonzaga is not in a major conference, but Gonzaga is... A stud team. Yeah. Now, they've been to the final four. They've been to the final game. Gonzaga is a basketball program. Okay, so you can't say, oh, you know, small <clears throat> conference. Better conference this year than before, though they are the only surviving member of their conference. And the other team is Houston. <clears throat> Maybe underrated at, at number five. Been to the Sweet 16 three or four years in a row. Got a really good coach in Kelvin Sampson. And the American Athletic Conference, not very good, but not terrible. It's not the America East. Come on. I mean, it's, you know, so, so the teams that are in there, and Houston's a five and could easily have been a four. Easily. They're a five seed. Come on. They beat a four seed, right? They beat Illinois, and they beat, yeah. them, they beat them. The Big Ten stinks. Awful. I'll tell Wilbon about this. They got two teams in it, but they started out, I think, with nine. Yeah. Seven are out by the weekend. Seven are out. They're overrated. The ACC, which I thought wasn't good at all, has Not three overrated. teams in. Carolina, Miami, an 8, a 10, and Duke. Yeah, Duke plays close, but Duke is still in. The Big 12 may be the best conference in the country. They got three teams in, right? Texas Tech, Kansas, Iowa State. They're, they may be the best team. SEC, a disappointment. The team I thought would win, wanted to win, Tennessee, is out. 
That was a very good game. That was yes. really a great game against Michigan. Yeah. How much did you watch? Did you watch a lot? I watched the almost, not the late games, but I watched a little bit of every game. So the Saturday, Saturday you can watch the late game. Sunday you have it on the background, and you're just sort of watching to see when it gets late into the second half, are you flipping back over it? Uh, but the afternoon games took an emotional toll. If you watched that Carolina game, you needed to take a little bit of a break. 25 up and end up in overtime. It was great. Uh, yeah, so we had, we had the Duke game on for dinner. Again, it felt like I couldn't tell if we were getting ready for, you know, just just leaving Thanksgiving with a Big Ten ACC challenge or if it actually was fast-forwarding to the Final Four with right. an Izzo-Coach K matchup. But, uh, no, we were watching that. Um, Pretty no, good game. Yeah, it was a good. Pretty good game. Good. Michigan State uh, shot far better than I thought they would and stayed in the game far longer than I thought they yeah, would. Right but up over to the, the end, over, yeah. you look at the four days of basketball and you start to say those middle seedings don't seem to matter really at all because any of those teams are good enough to win a game. And if you're good enough to win one, you can win two. So let's look at you can win four if you're from a major conference. Michigan is an 11. Iowa State is an 11. Miami is a 10. They're in great conferences. They play great teams all the time. They win, they lose. They can win the tournament. Uh, I, I, 11s and 10s for these teams, it just seems like the seeding is unreasonable. Sure. You know, like Houston, Houston could have been a four, a three even, but a five is fine. But you have to put North Carolina is an eight. They did not have a great year. An eight is as high as I think you go. When you're from a major conference, Michigan shouldn't be an 11, right? They're better than that. Well, just by who they play. Yeah. That's, that's my whole point. Um, can I read something? Yes. People know that I love. <laughs> would, would you like to hear an update as to the, the, the oh, yeah. who's contributors, winning? the who's bigs? Winning? Uh, so currently, and this after the first weekend, you have to try and break down who's leading just in terms of the number, but also what the remaining total can be. I think Pat so right, Forty's doing okay. Right now we have Richard Justice in first. Who uh, does he have winning? He has Kansas. We have okay. Tory Clark with Duke in second. Okay. Um, and tied with uh, just just below, we have Luke Russert, who who's has he Gonzaga. Buffalo? And 40, 40's right there. Yeah, <laughs> tried. Yeah. Uh, 40's right there. He also has Gonzaga. Nigel. Surprise in the top five, clean to that spot uh, with Arizona. And then we have uh, some WAPO writers going back and forth at it with Barry and Chuck. Uh, Sean Cherry's right there as well, and he is Kansas. Now on the bottom of the bracket, Phil's mom no. did not work out with that. He has a couple of those, couple of those pulls. In. And Greg. <laughs> Greg picked Longwood to get to the final. It seems like it's only, it's only going to go down from here. Yeah. yeah Greg has nothing left. There's nothing left. <laughs> So I, I occasionally buy these clothes from the Jay Peterman catalog. They're never as good as I want them to be, but I buy them just to, because they've amused me with their catalog. I laugh because I do the same thing. You're like, oh, this looks fantastic, and I'll Look at this hunting jacket. It's terrible looking, right? Yeah. Multicolored hunting yeah, jacket. That, that's not... On the new catalog, it's on page 12. But I admire <laughs> the pros. Along at home. I admire the pros so much. It is, it is so, f- you know, and I say this respectfully fabulously pretentious. It is like, what was the one Fisher's Island, a pair oh, of shorts? Yeah, the, the Fisher's Island, like a <laughs> mid-length short, they're talking about going to the Pequod Inn. It, it's just, somebody does homework and says, can I get right to the edge of obnoxiousness, but pull back? Yes. Listen to this. It's a boarding school creative writing elective, is what it is. <laughs> Tremendous. Now, this hunting jacket is really ugly. <clears throat> you have to believe me. It's, it's many, many attractive. colors. Yeah. It's really ugly. Here's what they write. If you spent much time at the Woody Creek Tavern in Aspen in the 80s, you probably got a decent look at this coat. How do you even start that way? How do you even start that way? Corner booth behind a Chivas Regal or a gin with cranberry? 
It's wearers, rumors say, sometimes autograph books by firing a bullet through them. It's such a great line. You immediately, if you know anything about literature, Ernest Hemingway is the first thing you think of. It's just wonderful, right? No, that's a, that's a reference to um, Hunter, Hunter Thompson. Who that that we lived in Aspen in the Woody Creek Tavern and would shoot. Books okay, and stuff so like I that. didn't know that. For yes. me, that's a great reference too. For me, it was Hemingway. Well, yeah, who was Hemingway was that kind of guy. <laughs> yes, he was. Oh, and he wrote some really great stuff. That's the important part. That in the signature jacket you'll see in a lot of old photos. Old photos of whom exactly? <laughs> a kind of autograph in its own right, fit for legends or the ones who write about them, and especially for the ones who are both. They have this all over the catalog. Somebody or some buddies who do this, it's, it's just wonderful. It's just the amount of time that you spend poring over the page. Like th- these, are, these are dog-eared pages. There's a crease, and then you actually buy this stuff. So you bought me I one do. of the Aaron sweaters last year, uh, and then you came back this year. And I bought it myself. You bought it yourself in you a different it color. Liz. Liz was wearing it as, like a, as just a sweater around the house, and you were eyeing it because you on the spot wanted to trade with her. Yes, yes. Anyway, um, here's, here's just one. It's a field jacket. If you were in the military, they'd issue you your field jacket. Civilian manhood also requires a jacket. This, for raking and bagging things, driving the kid's steer, digging holes with a shovel and a heap of gumption, <laughs> looking as if you don't need to hire someone to build the woodshed or change the oil in your 1971 <clears throat> Riviera. It sounds like Bootsy playing It's outside. no nonsense in town, too, for negotiating with a tax assessor or drinking a pint at the station bar. It's just brilliant. That's... That's oh, is the, that is that Hunter Thompson? Yes, and that's the jacket with a shotgun in his head. <laughs> well, it's not quite the jacket. Oh, is it that's not quite? actually better looking than the actual jacket. Okay. Oh, yes. This jacket is worse. <laughs> it really so, okay. is. Anyway, um, I thought I would do that. I was going to go on and on and on about um, how I'm sick of everything with sea salt in it, but I'll do that some other day. <laughs> I'll do that some other day. I'll get out of here now. Uh, and Michael Wilbon will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This is Nick Bowen. This is his new song, Drive In Dreams. We played his stuff before, have we? We have, yes. We like, well, we like everybody. Yes, but, uh, but yeah, Nick, Nick is, uh, is tremendously talented, and we played a number of his songs. What number? An, a number? Yeah. Uh, Give me a number. <laughs> like five? Uh, no, I want to say probably closer to like maybe like twenty. Really? Yeah, he's very prolific. Yeah, he sends us stuff all the time. That's great. Yeah, that's great. And you can listen to these songs in their full without Nigel and I interrupting them. You know, at the end. In fact, you should go to it now. <laughs> Driving Dreams by Nick Bowen plays in Michael Wilbon. Let's start with the NCAA tournament because, like me, you watch, You probably watched more than I did because I didn't watch the late games. Beginning the beginning of the tournament, you and I were both in a position where we said, "We really don't know who's going to win. We really think any number of teams could win. We don't see a clear favorite." Do you find yourself in that position 
today as we're down to 16 teams as well? Not seeing a clear favorite, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a yes. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there are teams we thought could they could win and have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, 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 the teams I'm rooting for, I'm rooting for selfishly because of some, you know, well, for me, conference affiliation is something that always tops the chart. And then what? The Big Ten is down to two teams or three? Oh, two. They're down to two. They just yesterday got crushed. Yeah. Well, they're 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 down to two from from nine. Yeah. And so yeah, my my rooting interests are, you know, barely alive. I I I wanted to I want to see Illinois win. Um, I wanted to. See, I almost got lost. You know, Arizona was in a tight game. Um, so it, it looks like it. There were teams that could not win that I thought could, but in terms uh, in, in terms of just the strength of the of the field um, and sort of how each game is playing out, for a while there was very chalky. It was just the favorites which were winning, which seemed really um, a, a rare thing going on when all the all the top seeds were just winning every game. And then like yesterday we had some more drama. So I think the tournament's been. You know, the tournament's been okay. It's been pretty attractive. Um, has anybody emerged, though, as a favorite? No, not not in my thinking. One of the things that I have looked at is Gonzaga was in a very close game with Memphis. You need to be in close games if you're going to win it. You need a close game or two. Arizona had to go to overtime, right, with TCU. Baylor's already out. Kansas has had close games. There have been very close games. Nobody has established itself as a dominating team. And I'll take St. Peter's out, but I'll tell you of the other 15 teams, Mike, 15, and I'll go with, you know, Michigan and Iowa State, which are 11s, and Carolina, which is an 8, and Miami, which is a 10. If if one of those teams won it, I would not be nearly as shocked as I would be almost every other year. Because I don't think the teams at the top are dominating teams. Maybe I'm they're wrong, not. but I don't think so. But they're not. No, there's, there's no may. They're not. Doesn't mean yeah. that one of them won't win, but they're not dominating. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's and right. that, that again, I thought that was the attractiveness of the of the tournament coming in. Um, it's it's kind of played to that. You've got the you know ten, eleven, eleven here still available and playing. I think if the, if the committee got anything wrong, if there was something they didn't do very well, it was seed. Like I look at Houston. Houston's not a five seed to me. Houston's a, a much better team than being a top twenty team. You know maybe they should be a three seed. They they look like uh, a team I, that's, you yeah. know top ten to twelve. So, but you know, maybe, yep. we're, maybe I'm quibbling, but that that would be my observation about the tournament and the wheels put together. So I, I broke it down. There are, I mean, if if you played favorites the whole time, there are three ones, two twos, two threes, and three fours still there. That would yeah. indicate that the seating committee was pretty good. Um, and and I would look around at conference by conference. The ACC, which I thought was a down conference. They got three teams in, although one of them is an eight and one of them is a ten, Carolina and Miami. The SEC, which I thought might be the best conference, and I thought Tennessee could win it. They only have one. The Big Ten has two out of nine. The Pac-10 has two. The Big East, which I thought might actually be out by now, has two. And the Big 12, which may be the best conference in the country, surprisingly enough, has three. The Big East, here's the problem you have. If you play Villanova, which Michigan is going to do, 
if you foul Villanova, you're going to lose. They are the best, right, Mike? They are the best foul yeah, shooting best team foul in the country. Shooting team in the country. So if they're close or have the lead in the last four minutes, I think they're going to win. They, well, they seem to I know what they're going to win because this is what they've done twice. They did it twice yeah. in three years. What they we won in sixteen and eighteen. They got a coach who knows what he's doing. So Jay yeah, Wright does. I, I still like Villanova. Absolutely. Jay Wright does, and he turned down the NBA a number of times. He must, he must, Mike, want to stay right there, right? Because he's had offers. Well, yeah, you would think so. I mean, but yeah, but, you know, what are the offers? Are, they, are the offers to go to bad franchises Sixers. and where you have no chance he had to the win or turn things around? I, I don't remember anymore. Before Doc. Know, he what now? Before Doc took that job, they offered it to Jay Wright. And Jay Wright said, no, I'm going to stay where oh, I am. Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. That's right. I tell you so, what, though, man, they look. So you know, Tony. Two weeks ago, we thought we thought the Seventy Sixers were primed for a long run, a championship run, perhaps. They hit a I tough look at them now, the They look. They look seriously flawed. James Harden mm. is back to doing the one thing he, he he was doing seven, eight years ago, which is not playing any defense, not trying, and they're going to get popped. Seventy Sixers. No. I, I now don't give the 76ers any chance to win. See, and I have them in the finals. Is the constant, what's that? I had them in the finals. You know, you yeah, know I understand. I said that, I understand. For a while, I thought I did yeah. too. But watching them, you know, look, it's not like college where you have these one-game deals and you watch and you go, okay, these guys, you know, I'm not sure about them. You're sure in the pros. You know what the hell's going on when you watch these teams a couple of weeks in a row. Um, and they have weaknesses that others can exploit and weaknesses that they can't cover. It, 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 the 76ers look uh, like they can be had. Let me go to baseball and tell you, that because Mike and I talked last night, and I said I was going to ask him this question. There have been some free agent signings that I completely understand. Freddie Freeman, when they let him go from Atlanta, going to the Dodgers, makes all the sense in the world. Max Muncy came up as, a, as an infielder. They just move him over. So they got Muncie at second. They got Trey Turner at third. They got Freddie Freeman at first. They're a great team. Okay. The two that were difficult for me, Carlos Correa went to the Twins. Twins are a mid-level team. He went to the Twins. Chris Bryant, former MVP, former World Series winner, went to the Rockies, a team that doesn't seem to have anything going forward at all. What are your thoughts on those two guys? I'm not one who... Yeah, unless I know who the player is, I'm not one who sorts of sits and ponders where people land via free agency. They go because the money is huge. They go because of the money. Free agency is about money. That's what it's about. Um, and because any of those teams can win. It's not like the NFL where teams go worst to first, like overnight all right. the time. But they can right. win. you got a shot. You, you, now, how many teams, baseball teams, this is not like the 1960s where you got to win a league to get in the playoffs. you got all kinds of playoffs available to you now. And once you get in, you've got a chance. So I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't do any thinking about why guys go where they go. I mean, you know, I don't know players anymore in baseball. They have reasons that they go where they go in terms of, who knows, loved ones, families, favorite cities. Um, but the fact that Chris Bryant went to Colorado, so 
you know, so what? Um, so I don't assign any particular thought to that. Or I don't assign much thought at all to it, really. One of the things I thought of is that if you are a great player, you come to believe, if I go there, I'm going to make them great. We're going to be a lot better than we were. That's why I'm going to go there. Did you get that sense of Chris Bryant when you watched him in Chicago, that he was that kind of confident player that said, I'll go somewhere and we'll be great? No. No. Mm. No. Chris Bryant is a guy who Tony, look, the one thing that those three players did, and the Cubs got this right, I hate to say it. The Cubs knew at one point, because they hadn't won a second time, that Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez, we're all going to want like $250 million each to stay in Chicago. You're not paying three guys $750 million. The Cubs aren't the Yankees. They're a big market team. They're rich. But they're not doing that. They're not, they're not doing that. So you've got to trade them. You're not, paying, you're not paying each guy $250. Right. Which right. is what people figured they'd want on the open market. Well, each one of them got a hell of a lot less than that. Each one of them got like $100 million less. So, I, you know, from the Cubs, you, you, you're going you're gonna to try it again. You're going to go one more time. You've got to sell and get draft picks and young players for those guys, which I guess they did to some extent. I, I, I don't know if now how differently I'm going to look at the trading of those three. And there are other people on that team who were, 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 were dumped as well. But Chris Bryant is not a guy who exudes irrational athletic confidence. You know? He, he, that, he's just not that guy. And obviously he's a great player. But Chris Bryant was like 24 years old when he, when he, when he, when he had his, as a rookie in, with the Cubs. Um, and he wasn't that guy. And he was, a, he, was a, he was an MVP of a World Series champion yeah, in a place a deal. where the World Series champion hadn't used that title that crown title, in 108 years. So clearly, he had to have great confidence in his abilities. But no, Tony, he didn't, well, he didn't exude that. Baez did. Rizzo a little bit more. But those guys, they, they, they didn't do that. And I think that's one reason, I don't know. You could say that you, you didn't see the alpha male streak in any of them that was going to lead them to say of that team, we're going to stay together and we're going to win again. Did not. That's interesting. Particularly see that no, and they, and they were they were they were great in their time. That that team, that team endured. You talk about the Duke kids and the pressure they perhaps weren't ready for. Um, that team, Tony, they did something that was impossible, previously impossible. They won a World Series on the north side of Chicago, and that was it. That's all they had. That was it. That feat alone took everything out of them. One time, not three times, not four times, not no, no, one time. And so I, I, God bless them. And the day they were let go, you know how we anguished. I mean, it, was, it made me yeah. sick. It made it made a whole city sick to lose them. And now I'm like, okay, all right, this is where this is where they should they should have been gone. They're gonna go someplace else and try to restart it. And good for them. That's good to hear. All right, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. All right, Tom. Michael Wilbon, boys and girls. Always a pleasure. We'll take a break. Pat Forty will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. 
Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Don Stewart, who plays songs for us all the time. It's a song off his new album entitled Don Stewart, Volume 33. The name of the song is All the Days, and he writes, I couldn't stop laughing when you said that even though Carly Simon sang Clouds in Her Coffee, you thought she sang Grounds in Her Coffee. Reminded me when Paperback Writer came out by the Beatles. Every time they sang Paperback Writer, I thought they were saying, Paint the Last Barn Black. <laughs> I sang it wrong for years. <clears throat> Excuse me, until somebody corrected me. Thanks, as always, for the show and making me laugh, even when I don't feel like laughing. Michael, if people like Don Stewart want to send us their music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornizerShow.com. Again, All the Days is the name of the song, and it plays in Pat 40. And we'll start. We have two big things to talk with Pat about. The first is the NCAAs. Obviously, St. Peter's is the headline. Obviously. They took out Kentucky, and then they doubled down, and they took out Murray State. So they're the champions of the Commonwealth at the moment, St. Peter's. But what is, in your, in your view, what win is, is the most important one? What is the one where you say, ah, that had shown me something. This team can win. Because neither of us think that St. Peter's can win the tournament. So. Right, yeah. Um, you know, I think that like the team that, that underachieved all season and now looks like, oh boy, is, uh, is Michigan. You know, they, yeah. they just barely got in the tournament. There were a lot of people who didn't think they should be long. There are people that thought they should have been in the, in the play-in games and uh, the first four. Uh, and now, you know, they put up two nice wins, and it's like, oh, yeah, they did have talent all along. Uh, and I think that uh, you look at them and say that, kind of like UCLA last year, like, oh, my, that's an 11 seed, huh? Uh, you know, I mean, they, they, they are finally playing to where – people expected them to most of the season. And yet, their conference was tanked yesterday. They had nine teams in. They only have two teams left, Michigan and 11, and Purdue um, a three. Like, that conference is revealed as not that good. The SEC may be revealed as not that good, whereas the Big 12, the Big 12 looks very, very good, and the ACC better than I thought. What are your thoughts on conferences? Yeah, you know, I mean, this is what matters. So I think while it's it's maybe a little bit unfair to take a single elimination tournament and make your decisions, but March is when the games yeah. truly count, so it does matter. And uh, you, you look at the Big 12, which was, frankly, you know, like one – maybe controversial call at midcourt away from TCU taking out number one seed Arizona, you know, having yeah. four teams in the sweet 16 and Texas gave Purdue all it wanted could have almost had five. So I think the big 12, a lot of people thought it was the best uh, league all season. Uh, and I think that's certainly uh, the stance now because out of 10 teams, you've still got three playing as opposed to these giant 14-team leagues. Uh, then in the ACC, yeah, I mean, that, that's the wild thing there is that, I mean, that league has been just ripped all season as underachieving and what's yes. wrong with them. And I, yes. I was one of them saying that. 
And now here you've got Duke, you've got Carolina, uh, you have Miami, and you, uh, boy, you could have had Notre Dame as well. Notre Dame spit the bit in the last three minutes, or really the last minute plus uh, after leading for so much of the game yesterday. So, that, you know, they, they, at the very top, apparently, of the ACC, it was it was still pretty good. Uh, it was everything below that that was not that good. Yeah, I mean, I was watching yesterday. Um, the one, the one team I looked at and I said, "How do they even get in the tournament?" Was Wisconsin? I had shot after shot after shot, open shots. They were they didn't even hit the rim half of them. They were terrible, right? They were terrible. Oh, they were they were horrible. They were horrible. I mean, and Iowa State, God bless its soul. That's who they. That's who they were. We knew. Like when that when that game came on the up on the the you know potential second round line, you're like, okay, that is just going to be the rock fight of the of the year. I mean, because neither team was yeah. very good offensively, but but Iowa State, that's just they they barely you know were still able to function offensively. They lost their last their one and only Big Twelve tournament game by 31 points to Texas Tech and scored 41. So that's who they were, awful. but then Wisconsin, yeah, that was boy, that was a dreadful performance, just just horrible. Uh, almost team that couldn't make any shots, they just kept shooting the same shots they couldn't make. They just kept launching three yeah. pointers. It was brutal. Tough, tough to watch. All right, let me move on to something. You went to the NCAA swimming championships in Atlanta over the weekend. Tell the people why you did that. Of course, um, I did that. My my youngest child, who we have been kind enough to discuss here, Brooke, uh, was competing for Stanford, and actually it was in her last competitive swim meet. She is now, as they say in the sport, a swammer, one who does not swim, yeah. but who swam. Yeah, and she's headed to the Peace Corps, and then after the Peace Corps, maybe med school? Is that the plan? Uh, yeah, definitely Peace Corps, and then we'll see after that. She's going to do a two-year hitch in Peru, a uh, public health officer down there, and then we will see possibly med school or possibly something in the area of public health. Was a biology major of sorts at Stanford, right? Human biology, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I set all these things up because Brooke Forty is someone who understands swimming and understands biology, and that leads us into what is, at the very kindest word I can use, is a controversial circumstance in which a woman named Leah Thomas, who is the first known transgender competitor in the women's national swim finals. I have skin in the game here because she's at Penn. My son Michael, who's sitting across the table from me, is at Penn. We know the, we know the athletic director, Atlanta Shanahan. We root for Penn. I mean, let, let me just say that. We root for Penn. She won the 500, Leah Thomas. Um, she is, again, a transgender athlete welcomed, I think, by the Ivy League, welcomed by Penn, not welcomed by everyone. I think you can be on either side of this and not be a bigot. I think there's room, do you, Pat, that, that there's room to not be a bigot and take one side or the other, but it's a very complicated issue, and it gives me pause. Your thoughts on it? It is a very complicated issue, no doubt about it. Um, and yeah, I think I think you can be on either side. I think you can actually be on both sides to a degree, uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I feel like I am on this. And uh, you know, my daughter uh, is amazing. In January, 
I was having dinner with her in Palo Alto, and I said, you know, you're going to be asked about this at NCAA championships because not only, you know, it, is she a fairly prominent swimmer, but she swims some of the same events as Leah. So they swim against each other in the 500 freestyle. And she's like, oh, I know. I already have a statement. I was like, you do? Really? She goes, yeah, I, I worked on it with a, a, a former teammate and came up with it. And I thought her statement was wonderful. You know, she said that she respected Leah, that she respected her courage, that social change sometimes we don't get it right the first time, right? We don't get it correct the first time every time, uh, and that Leah followed the rules, and I will have no problem competing against Leah. So I thought she struck a wonderful tone with that. Um, you know, I, I watched the race. I had watched Leah online beforehand. Uh, I, I personally do not think it was a level playing field. I do not fault Leah Thomas because she followed the rules as the rules were stated. I think that the rules were uh, constructed a decade ago by the NCAA and hadn't been modernized sufficiently to a point where uh, they, they did everything that they could to create a level playing field for everyone in the race. So to, to briefly summarize what this is, is that Leah competed as recently as last year, I believe, at Penn on the men's team, the men's swimming team Actually, at Penn. I, Was it I, two years ago, maybe? last year, yeah. Um, okay, that, all right. Yeah. Penn, Penn didn't compete last year as part of the Ivy League. They did oh, that's not, right. You know, just, yeah. That's right. That's right. So, the, so the, the, the critical issue is this. There are... People who will say, and some of them include Martina Navratilova, for example, who will say that there is an unfair biological advantage that Leah Thomas has with the musculature she had for, you know, all the first 18, 19, 20 years of her life. And that this is an, un right? am I saying that correctly, that it's an unfair playing field? And yet your daughter is saying she followed the rules. I'm happy to swim against her. Yes, uh -huh. that's right. And, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and disagree with Martina Navratilova necessarily, but I'm absolutely going to back my daughter in her stance on this, which I thought, again, was, uh, was she, she struck a very good tone, I thought, on it. And, you know, look, I, I watched Leah swim, and I see somebody who has a lot of natural advantages that the women she was competing against don't necessarily have, and I think that that's why she won the 500 freestyle. Uh, now, it's interesting. You know, she didn't she, win them she all. She, no, she did not win She's... the 200 freestyle, and she was the number one seed. She was eighth in the eight-person final in the 100 freestyle. So, you know, it's not – these meets are tough. These are very tough meets, and she is not an experienced swimmer at that level. A lot of pressure, a lot of competition, and it's hard to go three straight days. And I, there was, I mean, nobody was under more pressure and more scrutiny than she was for three days. There were protesters That's outside. Right. There were protesters inside. There was a media circus at times. Uh, I mean, it was unlike any swim meet I've ever been to. That's for sure. How was she received by her competitors? Uh, I thought she was received well by her competitors. Uh, you know, that I know... Brooke swam right next to her in the prelims, and Leah swam considerably faster than Brooke. They shook hands after the race. Uh, I know after the final that she won, she shook hands with Erica Sullivan. 
there was a a photo that was taken on the podium afterwards, which they award trophies one through eight. This is not the Olympics where you give medals one through three and that's it. The podium is one through eight. They put everybody up there. Brooke finished fourth. Uh, Leah obviously was first. Emma Wyant from Virginia second. Erica Sullivan for Texas third. Brooke fourth and so on. After they took the full picture of everybody, Erica Sullivan and the Texas photographer said, hey, let's get you three Olympians together for another picture. And so that's Brooke came and stood next to Erica. Emma came and stood next to Erica. And there was the space. And then Leah was still standing on the top of the podium. Well, you know, you want, if you want to make a picture mean something, it doesn't mean you can with the, just with the visual of that. But yes, I know, I know how my daughter felt. And I know Erica Sullivan, proudly gay and outspokenly supportive of Leah Thomas, did not intend any disrespect out of that, and neither did my kid. I doubt Emma Wyant did either. These were three Olympic teammates who hadn't seen each other since Tokyo. Like, hey, let's get a picture together. And all of a sudden that becomes expropriated. Yeah, no, no. And then I've read some stories in the Washington Post, and and I've – I've been impressed at how people really are trying to be fair and understand this and not be inflammatory when they do the writing. And be, it's a tough issue. How did, how did Brooke do in her other races, by the way? Or was it just uh, she, she was only, good? She was good, yeah. That, I mean, her uh, 800 free relay on the first night won, and 400 IM, she was second. And she also made the final, was seventh in the 200 breaststroke. It's actually the first time she's made the, uh, the A final in all three of her individual events. And now she's done. What does it mean to be done? I mean, she's never going to get in a pool again or just never compete again. She's going to get in a pool again, right? I would hope that you'll, you should get on a raft with a drink with an umbrella in it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, at some point. <laughs> you know? But uh, for now, yeah, she's, she's done. And I'm, I, I have a feeling she'll be the type of person where she will certainly continue to be in shape and that sort of thing and maybe end up doing triathlons. But She's not going to be spending her time going to the pool. I, you know, I don't think that's going to be her main mode of exercise again, probably ever, but maybe not just to, for several years. I've just known so many swimmers that, like, the last thing I am going to do is put on a swim cap and get wet again on a regular basis. Yeah. yeah. Um, before I let you go, let me ask you this. The future for not just Leah Thomas, but for transgender athletes – the last thing I think we want to do is demonize them and put them in a separate category. That, that strikes me as terrible from a social and cultural standpoint. Terrible. On the other hand, I do recognize that there are going to be very sincere people who are going to say, but there is a carryover biological advantage here, and, and so the competition is not necessarily fair. What do you think will happen? Where are we headed it's a great question. Uh, you know, I know this, that the rules are changing. And here's, you know, I think a lot of the, the crux of this is people realized too late, you know, in, in like November was when I think when, when Leah first started swimming really fast times and people like, um, okay, what are we going to do here? And the NCAA, the, the greatest monument to inaction and reactive instead of proactive <laughs> thinking on the face of the planet, uh, it was like gosh, I, I don't know. And they got to their, 
convention in January and just punted the issue and said, well, do whatever USA Swimming says we should do. And USA Swimming's like, what? You're throwing us into this? Uh, and then USA Swimming came up with a policy that probably could have restricted Leah from being able to swim in the championships. And the NCAA's like, mm, yeah, we want your policy, but not now. And so there is a policy that's coming that I think will at least do a better job in terms of testosterone inhibition and lower testing levels of testosterone for a transgender woman to compete. Uh, I think that will be progress. So here's the thing, Tony. I like, you know, there's so much overheated rhetoric about this, but this is not, I don't believe, the death of women's sports. And you're certainly not the one of the most, you know, insulting things people have said is like, Oh, you're just going to have guys pretending to be women so they can win. Who's going to put themselves no. through everything no. involved no. in changing genders to win a swimming race or a running race or a wrestling match or a softball game? That's not realistic. But beyond that, there are better rules coming. So I think this is going to be handled okay. We'll see how the new rules operate. And if they need to adjust them, hopefully they will. But... You know, it's not like society is just falling apart here. This was a bad bureaucracy slowly reacting to a very complicated situation, and now they've got to figure it out. The one thing that I uh, totally sympathize with, with was when Leah Thomas said, I'm not going to be doing press interviews. Because, Pat, you know what those would be like. Because you no. and I are guys who would ask those, you know, you know what the questions are you're going to ask, and, and she should not have to go through that. She should not. Yeah. So thank well, you for this. Thank you that, very much. Like, at, well, at least we're, we're, we're relatively well-schooled in how to ask questions. And there's some people that right. we were asked outside. My wife was asked. I mean, completely like, you know, not objective questions that were in t designed to try to get an inflammatory sound bite. So I, I don't necessarily blame Leah for that at all. Thanks for coming on. Good luck to your daughter. Uh, we, will, we will follow her career as she sits with a parasol and a drink in Peru on a river. We'll follow it. Thanks, Pat. There you go. La Chiserie. Thank Pat you. 40. Yeah, Pat 40, boys and girls. We'll take a break. Oh, you know, that reminds me, because Pat's friends with the people. It's Plants to Porch, right? Yes. That's right. Yes. And they do such good work. They, they stop do. sponsoring, but that doesn't mean we don't think they do good work. They exactly. just do good work. They're in... They're in Louisville. I believe they're a Louisville-based company. Yeah, yes. plans to porch. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your emails, faxes, and your It's Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofgren, and I have in my hand their Beatles Live tribute and their collection of uh, uh, Crackers, 30 Years of Soul. I mean, wonderful stuff. If you can get them, get them. Ronnie and Tom, very nice to do that. Um, Nigel Bethesda Bagels, Ed. Yes, we got the bagel sandwiches today. We love them. You will as that. well. Uh, all you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com, for a location in the D.C. area nearest you, then pop on in, and you'll be thrilled. 
Uh, that's about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say love. Love is strange. A lot of people take it for a game. Once you get it, you never want to quit. After you've had it, you're in an awful fix. Love is strange. I believe it was Billy and Lily. I, is it somebody else? Mickey and Sylvia. Mickey and Sylvia. Okay, yes. Billy and Lily was something else. Mickey and Sylvia. Yes. That's right. From the 50s, I believe. I think that a is long a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Thanks to our guests, Michael Wilbon, Pat Forty. Thanks to our sponsors, Zip Recruiter, MeUndies, and Freshly. Michael did such a good job with MeUndies. Remember that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. We have some new offerings on shop.doinggrownersshow.com. Uh, Rob wants to make sure I mention that. And his son, Elliot, has proofread all of these new offerings so we know that they are just aces rob that's an inside joke for you uh you'd actually love this there's a new magnet that is uh the recipe for boiling eggs Ooh. it's a cartoon of you going that's it i'm boiling eggs that's great step by step that's great peel under cold water brian polian wrote us and brian said i agree with you the semi-famous people from my hometown game has become tired on the other hand famous people from my small college game is just what the littles are looking for <laughs> for your consideration my alma mater of john carroll university or as we call it the harvard of east cleveland Don Shula, London Fletcher, Chris Polian, a brother, director of pro, pro personnel of the Washington team, Greg Roman, offensive coordinator of the Ravens, Tom Telesco, GM of the Chargers, Dave Ziegler, GM of the Raiders, Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Raiders, Nick Casario, GM of the Texans, Nick Cayley, tight ends coach, New England Patriots. Apart from Don Shula, Brian writes, all of these guys played football for the Blue Streaks within a 10-year window. Not bad for a 3,000-student Jesuit school in Northeast Ohio. Eat it, Miami of Ohio, Brian Lines. <laughs> we love Brian. Christian Rushman in Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. I wanted to inform the Tony Cornish Show family that my non-masculine child, a junior at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, was admitted to the Wisconsin and Washington program for the summer. She's been forced to listen to the show since the day she was born. <laughs> I assume she was putting up with you and the gang because she had to, at least until she got her own iPhone. Well, when she called to tell her parents of her summer adventure, she proudly informed us that the second thing she Googled after the location of her apartment was the location of the nearest Bethesda bagels. I've never been more proud of my daughter. The person <laughs> whom I'm related by marriage just rolled her eyes. So if you need a cliffy this summer to pick up the bagel sandwiches or to keep Van Pelt out of your PTI office chair, let me know. I'll be happy to hook you up. As for famous people from my hometown, I offer up Gus Dorius, or Dorius the QB at Notre Dame who popularized the forward pass. Jack Dawson, who needlessly drowned on the Titanic, <laughs> and the eponymous Annie Hall. What does it say about your hometown when two of your three most famous citizens don't actually exist? <laughs> um, from Vienna, Austria, not Vienna, Virginia. The other Vienna. Tony, a quick note to say thank you for being a little taste of home for the last year. My family is currently living in Vienna, Austria. I'm a regular listener of the show. Wednesday's episode, The Lemonhead Caper, was just what this occasional homesick American needed. Not only did you talk about weather in our other home, Washington, D.C., but you also talked about one of my most favorite American fast food diners, The Waffle House. My mouth was watering just thinking about a scattered, smothered, diced, and topped order of hash browns. From this side of the pond to your side of the pond, we send a hearty thanks for reminding us of home. Jamie Brees and family who say, Auf Wiedersehen, uh, Mike Kroesch or Kroesch. Russia is a first world country, really? Do you think they have lemon heads? <laughs> Actually, I think they have something like lemon. Yeah, they might have similar. From Tony Beeson. I have a piano, Tony Beeson. There has been a Subaru hubcap by the side of the road in front of my house for the past couple of days. I left it there in case the owner noticed it was missing and retraced their steps. Today, I've claimed it as my own prize. I decided to mount it on the wall above my fireplace, <laughs> which he has done, mantle like a deer head trophy, sort of as a warning to all Subaru-owning visitors to my property. You might want to take your pretentiousness down a notch or two, your eminence. Wonderful. <laughs> From Ryan Coral in Charleston, West Virginia. 
How do I know that this show and you are the host for me on a standalone basis? I find the bracket shows to be fine. However, I get great joy while listening and all the while knowing how much the other littles hate them. P.S. I have a sump pump, detached garage, and fully fenced in yard. What are you proud of, kids? Send us that. What are you proud of? From Josh Packard in Greeley, Colorado in 1993 or maybe 1994. I was in the stands when the star defensive back of my high school crashed the line and snatched a pitch from the quarterback to the running back out of midair and ran on touch for 70 yards for a touchdown. It was an amazing play. You really should have been there. <laughs> Matt in Woodbridge, which I assume is Woodbridge, Virginia. I just wanted to see if this email was going to be read during opening email segment or the traditional mailbag segment. Well, you made the traditional, <laughs> yeah, traditional. mailbag yeah. segment. Damian like no Lopez. Other. First time, long time. 34-year-old Little in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We had snow flurries here on Friday, March 11th. Please tell Michael, that's it. Thank you, Damien. Thank you for the update. From Jeff Barger in Hillsboro, North Carolina. When is wind being inducted into the Toy Hall of Fame? <laughs> it's going to be pretty soon. Yeah, it's on the short list. Teresa Lehigh in Springfield, Missouri. If Pat Forty's phone ever fritzes out, you need to find a way to pull Spike Braun out of school to fill in. He's a very impressive kid. I am all in with Spike's picks. How's Spike doing? Uh, middle, of the, middle of the middle pack of right pack. now. Yes. And then she writes in, do little we trust. Not me. <laughs> Not the Beltway so Mitterrand. <laughs> um, from Carmen Real or Reality, it is doubtful that Hunter Couture drove a car into Steve Sands' garage. However, what are the odds that he broke a garage door window playing basketball? 50-50? Carm Real, Carm Real, I've got it, from Lakewood, Colorado. P.S., please tell both DHs from Lexington, Kentucky, so DH are not designated. If hitters. he broke a window, he meant to do it. He doesn't miss. Yes. <laughs> had a, a rough game. They yeah. had a rough game when they were eliminated, yeah. Virginia Tech. Chris in Raleigh, North Carolina. Let me get this straight. You have a $1,000 pair of glasses, a $600 X chair, a $300 toaster, but for coffee, you and Carol have a saucepan? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Come on, man. What are we even doing here, man? Sums it up. From Alan Arkin, the other Priorities Alan banned. Arkin in Bettendorf, Iowa. Looks like the NCAA hired Wilbon to select sites. They have Buffalo in the Midwest region. And from Tyler in Minnesota. Um, so I write this to you stuck in a hotel in Phoenix for the second straight day, but that's a story for another time. The reason I'm writing is my five-year-old has been singing songs to occupy herself when she breaks into a rousing rendition over going to the zoo, zoo, zoo. I'm scrolling on my phone, not really paying attention or even notice when I join in. She gets really into it, so do I, until I exclaim Johnny Walker Blue and I realize what we have been singing. She looks at me in confusion. At this point, I'm confused. Did she pick up the song from listening to the podcast? I ask her and she says it's for the school concert. I guess it's good this happened now and not at the concert in front of her mom and all the other parents. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. If I wish one of your guys had children so I could kick them in the head or stomp on their testicles so you could feel my pain because that's the pain I have waking up every day. <laughs>
expectant crowd The horn shout As jump scarcely grow Cuddle in my bed The music stands Squeeze my hand till it's over The 80s go Relentless outpour Bloody cries reach closer Lips to pursue, full moonlight is bold. 